When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, overnight, PGA Tour CEO Jay Monaghan announced a merger that creates a commercial operation with the PIF and the European Tour, uh, as well as the PGA. All lawsuits involving Live Golf have been dropped. Yasser El Ramayan, the governor of Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund, joins the PGA Tour Board of Directors and leads the new venture as chairman. Incredible. Maybe the most amazing part of all this, there were no leaks, no hints, no leads. The PGA Tour players like Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, who took such a strong stance for their bosses and their tour, were blindsided when the news broke. The live players who left, also none the wiser, but a hell of a lot richer, it seems. Grant Boone is a highly accomplished and highly respected uh, golf broadcaster. Uh, he's worked uh, uh, extensively on the LPGA Tour, covered events uh, such as the Masters, the PGA Championship, and he has uh, been good enough to join us on the line this morning. Grant, um, good morning to you, New Zealand time, good afternoon um, in America. Wow, this has just rocked the world of golf, hasn't it? You can say that again, and good morning to you, Ian. Whether you're waking up over there or whether you're uh, getting the news uh, over your coffee uh, this morning in the U.S., it's a bombshell. I think it's one of the maybe the two or three biggest days in the history of professional golf. I think it has a chance to be that. Um, as a journalist, I'm, I'm going to try to resist hyperbole, which may be great for a, a sports radio show, but um, I'm going to try to put my, my, my um, journalistic uh, training to work and say, let's keep asking questions and, and try to find out more before, um, b- before we fire off some hot sports opinions here. I, I would say that, uh, that on the surface, uh, Jay Monahan's reputation is in the crosshairs, so to speak, uh, of, of a lot of folks who, on his side of things, trusted him on the PGA Tour. Uh, it seems, again, on the surface, what we know right now, it seems that he's done a complete about-face. What he said about the people involved with Liv, the Saudis, what he said about the nature of their competition, what he said about the players who left the PGA Tour to go play, uh, all of those things seem to have been forgotten now as he is uh, appearing on CNBC, the business channel of my employer, NBC Sports, uh, and and they're sitting side by side with big smiles on their faces, having just struck a monumental deal. Uh, again, we're, we've got a lot of questions to ask, but uh, as we sit here right now, a little after four o'clock local time where I am, um, we've got uh, we've got. Far more questions than answers. 
I think you've nailed it there, absolutely nailed it. Grant, listen, uh, the thing that amazes me, in today's world, how they were able to keep this so secretive, this whole thing so secretive, because it can't have been done overnight. There must have been developments here. Uh, the other thing, he has to go to uh, Canada now and explain this to the players, and most of the influential players um, that are stuck up for him won't be there. Uh, and the other thing, of course, he went as far as to say that uh, this was almost, uh, the live golf was almost rubber stamping 9-11. Now, you don't get much deeper than that in America. That's exactly right. That, that is sacrosanct here in the United States. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's uh, further uh, evidence of, uh, of, my, of my point originally that uh, he's, he's done a 180. Uh, he's again on the surface maybe there are things that you know when you're a leader you know things that a lot of people don't know um and maybe there is something that he's going to tell the the rank and file membership and the stars of the PGA tour who had his back uh that that will be a mitigating factor uh but but it will take some explaining uh i i, I you mentioned that he's going to canada he was on the CBS broadcast here in the U.S. of that RBC Canadian Open last year, and he was adamant, he was vehement uh, about what Liv was, about, uh, you know, again, who these people uh, are. And uh, it was on that broadcast one year ago. Um, the, the, the timing is is uh, of note. And um, now he's going... To, to that same event uh, and, and having to speak uh, to the membership. Uh, to your point about, Ian, about uh, word not leaking, if two people know something, there's a chance that word could leak. If three people know, you're, uh, you're increasing that significantly, that, that it could leak. If four people, five, every person that knows, every extra person who knows something, uh, increases dramatically the chances of, of word getting out about something. Uh, and and I, I imagine that's the reason why he didn't tell the membership first. Uh, if uh, I'll say this. The, these guys are independent contractors. Uh, I don't think very many people begrudge them trying to get as much money as they can. It is generally an egalitarian sport. You play well, you earn money. I think that's what bothered a lot of people. It's what Jay Monahan said about live golf. They're not earning it. They're getting paid up front. That, it, it's flying in the face of the fabric of what we have always been about. You play well, you earn money. You don't, you don't. You lose your card. And a lot of good players you know, have lost their card. A lot of guys who've won on tour have lost their card, lost their playing privileges because they, they didn't keep playing well. Uh, but while, while I think most fans are fine with athletes earning money, I think if, if the only thing here that is going to be good is the money, I think Jay Monahan's reputation will have a hard time recovering. If all he says is, hey, guys, you're going to play for even more money, even more money than you've ever played for before, and it, it's only money, and he can't walk back what he said about um, – uh, it's hard for me to imagine how he could, but if he if if he's not able to go back, uh, to walk back what he said, what he implied, uh, and explicitly said about the people involved with PIF, 
And I think a lot of people are going to say, is it, is that all it is? Is it just more money? Because if it's just more money, that's what so many fans are upset with the, the players who went to live about. You're only going for more money. What about, you know, is there, is there anyone from whom you wouldn't take a paycheck? That's, that's a question a lot of people ask. I think a lot of people are going to be continuing to ask that, Ian. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Grant. Um, um, you know, I'm 100% with you on that because money's money and uh, it seems that uh, the Saudis have got a bottomless pit. We know that in just not golf but other sport as well. But here's the thing. Uh, one of the great things about the PGA is the relationships, relationships between Jay Monaghan and the players. But the PGA and major, major backers and supporters over the years, people like FedEx... I wonder if we had any comment. What are, how are they feeling about all this? That uh, the, the, all I've heard the, the the overwhelming chorus I've heard from players has been, "How did you know? How, why am I hearing about this on Twitter?" Uh, um, uh, there there had been some some even harsher comments than that. Yeah, it's going to be. A couple of players have said it's going to be hard for me to trust leadership uh, when when this has happened, you know, um, shrouded in secrecy. There's going to be there there has been some trust already lost, and I think that's part of um, what Jay Monahan is going to be doing today, trying to rebuild that. And uh, again, as a journalist, you say, "Hang on, let's keep asking questions, let's find out more." Uh, for golf fans, Ian, I think there is a very real chance that in the coming months we're going to see the best players in the world reunited. And when you see what Brooks Kepka did at the Masters and then following it up by winning the PGA, I think for golf fans, there's a chance that, that this, could be, this could be good. I, I think most people want to see the best players playing together, right? Um, but... How we got there in such a convoluted fashion is really kind of mind-boggling. Grant, I, I just wonder, and a lot of people will be wondering this, uh, if you could put yourself inside Rory McIlroy's head at the moment. What do you think's going on in there? That's a great question. And, I, and again, if Jay Monahan's intent was to keep this silent as it seems it was then even a phone call to McElroy or Tiger Woods who was also Tiger wasn't as present because he doesn't play as much anymore but Tiger has been extremely outspoken about supporting the PGA Tour and being anti-live um, so but, but, but to call those guys ahead of time to say guys this is coming um, I, 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 I would imagine um, that to call him, would, those guys would be to risk the word getting out. It, um, and, and I think there is a lot of uh, trust to rebuild with Rory McIlroy for Jay Monahan. Is this a massive win for Greg Norman? It, uh, time will tell. Um, Again, a lot of people are saying Phil Mickelson is the unquestioned winner today. Greg Norman is the winner. 
Ian, I think it depends on how one defines winning and losing. If, if Phil Mickelson truly believes that the Saudis are, as he put it, scary MFers, uh, and I don't believe he used the initials. I'm pretty sure he went ahead and said the word. Um, if he really believes that, and this has invited that group of people, and they really are that, then is he is a winner is a fair question. He may have won this particular standoff, and Greg Norman would have as well. But I, I think it depends on how it defines winning and losing. Uh, if, if unsavory characters of any sort, and I guess some say unsavory is a relative term, isn't you know, is, there, is all money dirty money? That's not an unfair question to ask. Um, But if unsavory characters, patently unsavory, people we know do terrible things, um, not not indirectly, directly, if those people have been brought in to the, the inner sanctum of a professional sport, is that a win? It's a fair question. I'm not trying to answer it. I'm just asking. Uh, but this particular standoff, it certainly would appear that Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson um, would be uh, enjoying this day. I, I, the other thing that uh, concerns me a wee bit, we don't know the ramifications yet in terms of the respected tours because, of course, the DP tour is involved here as well. Does this give these... Um, well, it, effectively, I, I suppose, it, it will at times uh, give these live golfers just a, a, a passport straight back in uh, to the, the tours that I've come from. How does that affect the guys that have stayed faithful? The, you know, the guys from 125 down to, say, 85 who are fighting like hell for their cards, if these guys just mosey on straight back in? I'll say there are a lot of constituencies that I think have a lot of questions. If you... If you didn't take the live money and you were a good soldier, you might be saying, um, remind me why I said no to 150 or $200 million at this point. Uh, if you're the rank and file, you might be saying, uh-oh, here come 40 more guys back to take my job. And Jay Monahan has already said this morning that there are many things to figure out. Ian, it seems to me that this was get the word out before anyone finds out and then we'll figure out details. I'm not Mm. sure that very many details have actually been worked. I think it's a matter of us not knowing. I don't think they have worked them out. He flat out, Jay Monahan flat out admitted. They've got a lot of work to do to figure out uh, protocols to, to try to unify the sport again. But, but it, it was obvious that, that getting word out before anyone else found out was the operative plan. We'll, we'll work out details later. Let's get the word out now. And, and it also, most notably, and you mentioned this in your report, it puts an end to all the litigation. And I think that's one of the questions that, that the journalists, that we as journalists will be act, asking. 
How much could the mm. litigation impact this decision? Were there things that were going to be revealed on both sides that, that neither wanted people to see, the public to see? I don't, I'm not going to speculate as to what those might be, but um, if you don't want people to know something, you're not going to go into a forum in which those facts could be made known. Um, whatever side you're on, it, and I and I do wonder, um, as some of these cases were progressing, is this a way to just instantly say, we'll figure out the details later, let's put a, a stop to all litigation right now, and then we'll work out the details. It's it has just an air of that and- to me, but 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 I, I don't. I'm, I'm just. I would be speculating at that point, but it, it has a little bit of air of that. Okay. Hey, Grant, just finally, before we let you go, and we really do appreciate your time, this is very much a last-minute thing for you as well. Um, the LPGA, any spin-offs? Any spin-offs here? Any, any effect on the LPGA Tour? This is a tour which you have been closely associated with for a long period yeah. of time. Yeah. Um, here's what we know. The LPGA has a strategic alliance, which is a fancy way of saying um, with, with the PGA Tour. It's a fancy way of saying um, that, that we, we share some business interests. We do some, um, some negotiating together. Um, you know, we, we pool resources. And, of course, PGA Tour is the behemoth in this relationship. Um, when, uh, during this last year, when the PGA Tour and the PIF slash Live were enemies that was a hindrance. The LPGA Tour, even if they wanted to, really couldn't, and I'm not saying they did want to, but if they, even if they wanted to, they couldn't have very easily, they couldn't really at all, and stay in the good graces of their strategic alliance partner, go forward with any kind of conversations with the Saudis. Now that today has happened, presumably there is the opportunity for an influx of significant cash to the LPGA Tour. The Saudis already fund a good chunk of the ladies' European tour through uh, their oil company called Aramco. That money is not filtered down to the LPGA, but it could now. Here's, the, here's what makes it complicated. You have the Saudis who are, are well-known. This is, this is not a secret. They are well-known for um, having very limited rights for women. It was only a few years ago that women have been allowed to drive uh, in, in Saudi Arabia, very, um, women are not full, fully human, full, full human rights. Um, other minority groups, LGBTQ, not, uh, given full rights in Saudi Arabia. The LPGA tour is a diverse tour of women. And the question would be, would they want to partner with a regime? Would they want money from a regime that famously, uh, does not grant them full rights. On the other hand, they play for so much less money than the men do. Might some of them say, look, I appreciate you support- telling me to, to uh, tell how much you support me as a woman, but if you're, you know, but, but these people who may not give their own country women full rights, they're paying us much better. And is 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 in some way that a sign that they're taking some steps forward that's what some of the women some of the questions they're asking 
um, there's a, again, a lot to, to figure out between the LPGA and where this goes. Um, but, but we're already seeing a lot of players on the LPGA tour go play those ladies European events that are funded by the Saudis that in some cases are, you know, have prize funds that are greater than the average LPGA event. They played for $5 million in a, a Saudi event on the LPGA European tour back in February. Uh, that's the most money that the women play for in any non-major championship. So um, I, I am pro-LPGA, and I want the best for them. But uh, it's a complicated situation uh, for a, a group of women who, if they were in Saudi Arabia as citizens, uh, couldn't be doing what they've been doing. Grant Boone, you've been exceptional. Uh, I've admired your work uh, on the LPGA uh, broadcast over the years as well as your other work as well. Thank you sir, so much, uh, sir, for your time uh, this morning, New Zealand time, late afternoon there uh, where you are. Um, I can tell in your voice uh, that uh, you're an authority on these things and you're a little bit confused. So uh, we'll wait to see how this plays out in the next 24, 48 hours. But uh, in the meantime, thank you so much for your time. Ian, thank you. Cheers to all of you. And uh, let's just keep asking questions and see what we can find out. Good on you. Grant Boone there out of the United States, folks. Uh, this is a bombshell. Uh, we'll continue to focus on it this morning. Uh, all of a sudden, the worst enemies become the best of friends, it seems, in the blink of an eye. Staggering how that can happen. And it has. 9.26 here on SCNZ. You can catch ball-by-ball ball commentary of the World Test Championship final between India and Australia from 9 tonight on SENZ or download the SENZ app. here on SENZ and uh, big uh, news in golf but a big event in cricket tonight of course as the World Test Championship gets underway. This time around it's Australia and India at the neutral venue of the Oval in London and uh, one bloke who will have some thoughts about it I'm sure because he played in the last one where New Zealand beat India outright in Southampton is Neil Wagner who joins us on the show this morning. Wags of course played 63 tests for New Zealand thus far. 258 wickets at to 27.50. Wags, good morning to you. Morning, Sophie. How you going? I'm going pretty good. Last time we heard of Neil Wagner, you had a few injury issues. How's the body, man? Yeah, really good. Thanks, mate. Um, it's been a while now. Um, it's been a pretty long slog, to be fair. It's uh, yeah, one of the bigger injuries I've had in my career. and um, Taking a bit of hard work to get, get on the other side of it, but um, feeling really strong and and fit and actually feeling uh, stronger than what I did when I started the season last year. So it's been a lot of hard work. Um, but, yeah, the body's pretty good now and started bowling, which is quite nice. So it sounds like uh, the mindset is very positive going forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, your injuries happen and it's never nice. And you've got to try and find a way of uh, getting the other side where the mind's still fresh. And, um, yeah, got the drive to obviously do it. So the hard work... The, I uh, just came from the gym now, early morning uh, in the gym, and then you've got all extra things that you're trying to target, those areas like Pilates and, and a few different things. It's sort of quite humbling um, to notice uh, Pilates can be that hard. Um, but, yeah, the little things that you try and do now to, to make those areas stronger that, that took a bit of, I guess, punishment over a, a number of years now, um, I guess got weaker. Um, just getting those little areas stronger um, is quite nice to actually know that you need to improve that, and when you do, 
he started reaping rewards as the way he sort of felt the last little while. Um, doing some of the strength testing has, has been quite pleasing to see that I'm stronger now than what I than what I was in the last sort of two years. So um, that's a good sign, and, and hopefully, yeah, can continue that. Wags, uh, it's been a couple of years now since uh, you guys celebrated with the Mace in the dressing room. Of course, they were COVID days. It was quite a weird sort of test match that. Um, but um, memories of that and, and um, you know, the, the fact that uh, it's starting again tonight. Yeah, fond memories for me. Um, amazing time. I, I guess, obviously, for me, it was the pinnacle of the game. It's uh, pretty special, I think. Obviously, having got close to, to a one-day World Cup uh, or any sort of form of a World Cup, I think that was obviously my World Cup final in, in some respects. And, and I, I think in the Test Arena, uh, the pinnacle of the game, I think it's, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, there was a lot said about, obviously, uh, not knowing what it's going to be like until it happened and, and we played it and being part of a pretty special one. Um, now it seems like everyone's speaking quite highly of it and uh, it's uh, the event that everyone wants to play in. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's two years ago. It's sort of gone quite quickly. Um, but, yeah, pretty fond memories. And, and the whole trip of it, even with COVID, I sort of felt like everyone was sort of quite tight-knit and, and pretty close together and... Um, and with each other around the whole time in that group, obviously having to be with COVID and, and things like that, it just made it more so special. Um, but yeah, just an amazing piece to be a part of. So, Wags, it starts again tonight as Australia against India at the Oval. Now, uh, uh, Southampton was a, a venue that uh, suited you guys. Of course, it was pretty wet. You had to go into the sixth day, which they allow for in the World Test Championship final, which was a great move. But how do you see the Oval in terms of uh, a playing surface for both of these two sides? Yeah, um, England is so, oh, I guess, depending on weather and and the overheads. Um, obviously, with a lot of rain around, Southampton was actually originally, I would guess, the, the surface of the wicket there would have suited India more than, than us. I think it's the choice of quite a flat wicket that can turn and go a little bit up and under. Um, but, yeah, normally quite flat. And I guess we just, yeah, had quite a bit of weather around and the ball seemed to nip and, and move around even on that last day when, when Kane and Ross has been in together. Um, it still did all sorts. It almost felt like it did more. The test went on and, and it felt pretty tough, and, and even that chase towards the end, it was the longest couple of hours of my life sitting down to me watching in, in the change room, and we all sort of joked around when it got to 20 runs. Um, Balti sort of looked around and said, hey, each of us has got, has got a couple of runs in the, under, surely under our belt, so we surely should do this. Um, but even till then, it was still nervous moments. Um, but yeah, I guess the oval is similar, um, big square boundaries, um, but with those blocks that go on it, um, you know, sometimes you just lean... You just lean on one, you bowl a good ball and, and a guy just lean on it and just races on all those big squares. Um, I guess the, the wicker block that's going all the way to the boundary, which they train on, um, it just goes so quickly. So you, sometimes you bowl a pretty good ball and it, and it just goes away for four. So when the sun is out, it can be quite flat um, and be quite tough. And then obviously India with these spinners will come into play. Um, but then, yeah, when there's overhead and, and a bit of overcast that's sort of coming around, the ball seemed to do a bit. From what I've heard, um, the Oval, the last sort of two years, especially this year, is at a lot more pace and bounce than what it had in the past, and they try to keep a bit more grass on it. So um, that will obviously, uh, I guess, keep the seamers interested in that sense too. And sort of by the looks of things in the county setup, um, Surrey seamers have been have been enjoying it bowling out there. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure Australia will likely look off of that too. So who does that suit more in terms of the bowling? And, and the, you know, no Bumrah for India, but no Hazelwood for Australia. Who's, who perhaps has the stronger attack for that kind of surface? 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, so I think you know both sides are, are you know sort of well balanced, and then they've got pretty good teamers still. I think Mohamed Sharaj and Mohamed Shami is two quality bowlers that, that you know show their worth, I guess, in the last sort of two years. And then um, I mean Australia's still got uh, Mitchell Stark there, and I think Scott Boland will be a handful. I just think of the Duke ball, um, the way he swings it, and he can nip it uh, with a bit of a wobble seam that sort of nips around. It seems to be the way to go over there at the current stage and, and moment with some of not being able to put saliva and stuff on the ball um, with the Dukes. They sometimes tend to, if you lose the shine on them, um, not swing, and then that nip and wobble seam can come in quite handy, especially if there's a bit of grass on it. But then a guy like Michael Nisa will be quite interesting to see if he, if he plays and, and how he goes because he's had a lot of success, I guess, of a Duke ball, and especially in England. So um, I sort of firmly believe that if India plays two spinners, that and Australia is going to go that balanced setup with, I guess, Green as the all-rounder. It just covers that basis more with seamers. Sometimes you're going to have to bowl quite a few overs. I remember with our final, I mean, um, we played five seamers, but all of us bowled 20-odd, 27-odd overs, um, even when it was a shortened test match. So we bowled quite a lot of overs, even... Um, having it been, uh, you know, shortened with the, the weather around. So um, I guess that's going to be the big trick is, who's, you know, what the balance of that side is. And, um, I mean, I think Australia with just Nathan Lyon of, and then having those other seamers who can do the job and, and someone who can just hold an end and, and bowl a lot of overs is going to keep the other guys fresh to come in and, uh, I guess, have an impact. Wags, a lot of pressure on India. Um, Raul Dravid is, is just laughing off the fact that they haven't won a global event of any kind uh, in uh, a decade now. So how much pressure on uh, on India to win this? Also, for the good of Test cricket and the longevity of Test cricket, how important do you think is that India uh, stay strong in that form of the game? Yeah, it's interesting. I've heard you know quite a lot of chat in the last little while, and, and especially from the Indian players, that... You know, Test cricket is a pinnacle for them. I mean, with the IPL and all the T20 sort of leagues going around the world, and it's sort of obviously driven by a lot of the Indian franchises. A lot of the players still talk highly about Test cricket, and, and that the pinnacle for them uh, personally is, is this sort of event. Um, I mean, hearing Virat speaking about it, Ravi Shastri has been quite open about it, saying that Test cricket is is the the fundamental, I guess, sort of side of it. You know, and, and if you can nail that part of your game, then you can play all the other formats, but if you only nail the short format stuff, you can't really make that move to test cricket, and that's quite true, I reckon. Um, so, I mean, hearing that from, from them uh, is quite pleasing, um, and obviously I think it's huge for them. they obviously got, like you say, a bit of a pressure on them to try and win, uh, I guess, a, a world event. They've got a quality side for a number of years now, but just not got across the line again. Um, so this will be huge for them, and Australia has to show that in, in world events in the past that for some reason, they just keep keep showing up and keep delivering when when it's needed. Um, so so yeah, it's going to be an amazing contest. Is one that I'm definitely keen to wake up in the middle of the night for and have a watch. Um, I think it's uh, for me personally. I think the excitement of this game is huge, and and with those two, I guess heavyweights throwing it around, it's going to be an interesting battle. Okay, so um, you're opening the bowling. You've got the new ball at the oval. <clears throat> Which lineup would you prefer to bowl to? The left-handers of of Warner, and then of course you've got Kawaja followed up by Labashane Smith head. Then you go to the, the the Indian side of thing, predominantly right-handers. You've got Gill, you've got Sharma, you've got uh, Pajara, then you've got uh, Kohli, and it looks like a return of Rahani, who you know very well. Uh, is there a, is there a preference there? Is it a harder one to bowl to of, of those combinations? 
funny, I'd rather bowl to India than, than Australia there, I guess. But then saying that, a moving ball, Australia sort of showed that they can get quite vulnerable when the ball sort of moves sideways, I guess, um, in a lot of ways. Uh, my personal preference, I like bowling to right-handers. Um, I know Trent will lick his lips when he gets left-handers on, on display. Um, his record against left-handers is phenomenal. But for me, right-handers in India, just the way they sometimes go quite hard of their hands out in front of their body in those conditions just screens, uh, I guess, to, to be able to find the outside edge or even the inside edge, just the way they play. Um, so for them, making that adjustment is going to be huge. Um, we found that at Southampton, as soon as you can bring, I guess, both edges in with them, the way they play, they're quite risky um, and they score in different areas. But um, if you block those areas off and their hands sort of come out, then in those conditions you feel they can be vulnerable to nicking off where Australia... Um, a little bit more, I guess, easier to adapt to those conditions, but they've shown their vulnerability too in, in England over the years with um, with the jig ball too, once it starts moving around sideways. But from what I've seen, the weather forecast is meant to be pretty good and it's meant to be quite sunny um, and flat, and that's where India can be quite dangerous, the way they play, and, and they can score quite quickly too, which, which could put you under pressure. So it's going to be a hard one for me to pick. Um, I'd say I'd love to play against India in those conditions and, and would favour to play against them. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a pretty pretty awesome contest, and, and a lot's going to play on that toss, I guess, especially having having six days at it. Just finally, Wags, how, do you catch up with the the Mount Syndicate there? I mean, there's so many of you Black Caps floating around there at the moment. Have you have you caught up with with Kane and his recovery, or Bolty is he back, or do you have coffee in the mornings, you blokes? Yeah, we do. We we don't have coffees as much as we do. Everyone's got families and kids now, and gosh, other commitments, so we don't see each other as often as we normally did when we were back in our younger days, but, well, we caught up for dinner the other day, and I saw Kane over the weekend, um, he's moving quite well, to be honest, um, he's got the place off, and, and he's walking around, and, and he's looking pretty good, he's, he's doing everything he can, he's working really hard in the gym, and I saw him in the gym the other day, he's going through his paces with the physio, doing what he, what he needs to do, and, um, yeah, he's in a pretty good place, and, yeah, Trent is uh, loving a bit of family time, having been away quite a bit, um, haven't had his boat out on the water yet for fishing, so um, so yeah, I'm sort of trying to push him. I said the best best boat's a mate's boat, but yeah, I haven't got the invite yet to the <laughs> fishing trip, so I'm waiting for that. Good to talk to you, Wags. Great to hear personally that uh, you uh, are fully um, on your way back, and uh, your, your heart and soul is still into bowling for us. That is uh, the best news of all of the morning. Uh, hey, thanks, mate. Um, go well. Keep training well, and uh, we'll catch up at some stage in the future. Thanks for your time. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it, mate. Yeah, cheers. Neil Wagner there, uh, one of the great servants of New Zealand cricket, without a doubt. Uh, back in training, back in the gym, back in the nets, uh, adding to uh, our fast bowling stocks, and uh, that is just such good news because uh, he has been the heart and soul for quite some time. It is uh, 9.46 here. Gosh, it's been a busy time, hasn't it, uh, already here on SENZ? SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Call any time, 0800 150 811. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. 
Rightio, let's get into it. Uh, yesterday's one is still alive because uh, Holger Runa and Kasper Root have not yet played in the French Open. Today, Ange Jabeur uh, to beat Beatrice Haddad Maia. That is uh, $1.36 uh, French women's uh, open tennis. In uh, the women's NBA, Las Vegas Aces to beat Connecticut Sun at $1.40. And the moneymaker is in the Europa Football League tomorrow morning with Florentina uh, up against uh, West Ham. I predict that will be a draw at $3. So... Uh, Angebeur into the aces into uh, the draw in the footy. Uh, that is $5.71. Uh, okay, um, we've got a really busy next hour coming up as well, uh, including uh, we're going to change direction from golf to cricket to surfing. That's a hell of a big change, isn't it? But we're going to catch up with Billy Stearman, our Olympic surfer, uh, who's on the verge of qualifying to go yet again. Uh, that coming up here on SENZ. Your Blanks bring home the Web Alice Cup for the fourth time. You can follow all the action with live commentaries and much more on SENZ. It starts September 9th. The All Blanks against France. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Coming up to 10 o'clock, Smithy, uh, good to be here. We're riding shotgun with you this morning. And just a little nugget I thought you'd appreciate as we start to get little bits of information leaking from the players' meeting at, um, well, up there in Toronto, here to the Canadian Open. Uh, the players, well, I guess, leapt to ovation when at their players' meeting a call for new leadership was suggested. This is standing in front of Jay Monaghan, and that's probably not overly surprising, is it? Because I think a lot of those players will feel deeply betrayed by the guy that they fought so hard for. He's got to go. I mean, if he's got any any gumption or any uh, belief in relationships or any respect for the players um, or the sponsors that um, he is so vehemently stuck up for and now has turned his back on seemingly um, I, I don't think he's got any credibility uh, within his group uh, he may uh, be the Arab's best friend all of a sudden and uh, he and Greg Norman might be trading Christmas cards once again but in terms of those players I think he has to do the right thing move on, get someone in there get someone else in there uh, appointed by the players like a players association and every other form of sport get it sorted because it's ugly it, uh, to me it's pretty damn ugly if you get to that point where they leap to their feet and say let's get rid of them effectively in front of them goodness me 10 o'clock coming up not such uh, nonsense in surfing absolutely not such biggest trouble in surfing great white although he was troubling he was in trouble in golf too wouldn't he for paris next year pending selection from the new zealand olympic committee Billy joins us now to talk about that qualification, the games itself, and what's up next, and Paris looking forward. Uh, Billy, good morning to you. Great to have you back on the show. Hey, guys. How are we? We're damn good, mate, and so are you. Uh, you've had a really good run over the last few years, but uh, your form of late has been outstanding. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an awesome journey, and, uh, you know, topping it off over here in El Salvador to get that Olympic spot is, um, yeah, I'm pretty stoked right now. Um, it's been a huge week actually over here. Though. It's so hot and hard to like, you know, maintain energy throughout the day. But um, yeah, got the job done, which I'm uh, super proud of. You really did, and you did that against um, a, a world champion and Gabriel Medina. Tell us about that particular heat. 
Yeah, that, I knew I knew that was going to be a huge heat against uh, Gabriel. Um, obviously, he's a world champ, and um, for the Olympic qualification scenario, it was a ma- massive heat for me to get inside that bubble of of, the, of making that position. So, um, yeah, he's a really good friend of mine as well. You know, I've I've, uh, tra- I've kind of travelled around the world, and he's been at most places I've been to. So, um, I was giving him a few cheeky smiles out there. But um, yeah, I was stoked to go left out there, and and you know, I'm, I'm coming from Raglan. I love going left, so. It all paid off, and uh, I gained a lot of confidence after the heat, and, um, yeah, I was just stoked to progress. And Billy Louie here, mate. Congratulations. Uh, I mean, what a, what an amazing week for you, and you, you mentioned to me that you're absolutely exhausted. I mean, what does the emotional toll take when you're fighting for another crack at the Olympics and you're surrounded by the world's best, you're surfing in the same heat to them? Like, the, the mental side of it, I know it's something you've poured a lot of time in throughout the years. How have you been feeling there? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, like you said, it's been a huge week um, emotionally and physically. But, um, yeah, I think I've got a really uh, strong um, mental frame. And, um, you know, I think that's been pushing me through this week and, and like previous years building up to this point. Um, it's a weird scenario as well, you know. We come over here as a team, uh, Team New Zealand, and we're basically vying for one spot in the males and one spot in the females. So we're, we're you know, we're, we're doing it for the team and we're supporting each other, but at the same time we've got our own individual goals. So, um, it was actually a pretty crazy uh, last day for the women's um, yesterday and, and a couple of scenarios happened between Paige and Safi and stuff like that. And Safi managed to, you know, get that spot. So, um, yeah, I'm proud of the team and, you know, they've been very supportive and um, I couldn't have asked for better teammates and, and the support crew here, Maddie and Michelle, have been looking after us really well. So, um, yeah, emotionally I, I feel, you know, I'm pretty good at the moment. Um, but, yesterday, like, yesterday I qualified for the Olympics, but... I was still in the event, so um, it was the same thing that happened in Japan when I qualified for Tokyo. So it's a weird scenario, but uh, you know, I, I was super proud, and a little bit of a weight came off my shoulders. But I still had a job to do over here. So, um, but now I'm out of the event. You know, I can kind of put my feet up, jump in the pool, get cooled down a little bit, and, and relax, and kind of you know put that grin on my face. So, Billy, uh, just tell us uh, how many ways were open to you to get and qualify for the Olympics? Was this your, the chosen pathway, or could you have done it in, a, in another way through another event system? Um, no, this is the basically. So, if you're not on the World uh, Surfing Tour, um, the WCT, uh, this is our only chance of qualifying. Um, there is a, also an outside opportunity for other people next year at the ISA World Surfing Games, but it's a big, big even harder task for everyone. So, um, this is our uh, basically, the, you know, the easiest or, or best way to qualify for the, for the games. And um, I knew that, you know, coming into this event, uh, you know, my mind frame is I want to get that spot. And I, and I also wanted to bring home a medal for the team. Um, unfortunately, I didn't do that. But, uh, yeah, I got that spot and I'm super proud of my efforts and, and what I've done this week. And, um, yeah, I, I feel amazing right now. So you, you finished top 10 um, at the Olympics in Japan. Two years down, the, two or three years down the track, how do you compare Billy Stamman, the surfer, now in terms of experience, confidence, and ready to attack in Olympics? Yeah, well, it's going to be a different games. Obviously, we're in um, Japan, which is not known for like crazy good waves, so um, the conditions are going to be a lot different. The surfing's actually in Tahiti, so uh, I'm going to have to, you know, <laughs> go over there and get some training and some big scary freaking slabs. So um, that'll be interesting. But yeah, I think I learned a lot at that games. You know, I kind of I, I felt like I. I could compete against the best in the world, and I've kind of proven that the, these ISA World Surfing Games against Medina and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm just building in confidence throughout the year. 
What about, I guess, New Zealand surfing as a whole, Billy? I mean, you've Matured been doing this for... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you've been doing this for a long period of time now. Um, you were surfing Nats recently out at Piha. That was an awesome event. Have you seen the standard over the last... Well, especially since it became an Olympic sport, have you seen the standard and the competitiveness in amongst your peers in New Zealand start to increase? Is there a real drive and hunger, especially for that next younger generation coming through that actually yeah, sees it as a pathway? Um, oh, sorry. Bit cut out there. But, um, yeah, sorry, my internet's bad over here. But, um, yeah, for sure, I think the Olympics kind of broadens the spectators and, and it's a different pathway, not only the WSL, but the Olympic Games. Uh, I'm getting on the older side of things, but I feel fit and healthy and strong and uh, I've learnt a lot and I think, like, you know, my knowledge is, you know, on top of everyone else's at the moment so um yeah i feel comfortable at the moment and and hopefully i can like you know show the younger generation that anything is possible i'm a two times olympian now so it's pretty crazy to say and um you know every anything is possible i've had a you know a few tough things happen in the past two years and um i'm stoked i kind of pushed through that and and kind of did this for me and my family and um and and new zealand Tell us a wee bit, please, if you could, Billy, about uh, Safi Vete. This is a relatively new name to us, but uh, such a, uh, a a youngster who um, who really does look as if she's got the goods at this early age. Yeah, she's amazing. Uh, Safi Vete's from um, Gisborne. Uh, her brother Finn Vete is also a surfer who's living in Dunedin at the moment. But um, yeah, I've, I've actually worked with Safi a bit. I've, uh, a few years ago, I was coaching her a few times, and now she's moved to Aussie and put herself amongst, you know, some of the best surfers in the world over there and training hard out. And, um, yeah, she's putting her, you know, best foot forward and putting herself in the in the best scenario she can do to do things like this. So super proud of her um, at the moment. She's still pretty young. So, um, yeah, it should be exciting. And, and we're, we've traveled a lot together, and, and we're really close, you know, good friends. So, um, I'm super proud of her, and I can't wait to do this journey alongside her. Is the door open for any more of our surfers? I mean, for instance, Paige Harrod, where's she at? Um, yeah, so I think that spot this year has... Surfing games. Um, I think it's quite confusing, but I think if she finishes in, like, the top seven of the whole contest, I think she might get a spot. Um, and it's the same for the guys, if anyone finishes in the top five i think of the overall event i think they get a spot as well so um yeah it's, it's a pretty hard task but you know anything's possible like i said and um yeah i guess we'll have to wait and see what uh what next year's i say worlds brings so you, you mentioned before you're going to be competing in tahiti how do you simulate conditions in tahiti i mean do you just go there early and and spend you know, two or three months there or uh can you simulate it somewhere else yeah, well, there's not too many ways around the world that are, that are like Tahiti. Uh, um, I, there is already, a, I think, a trip planned. Um, I'm actually away for the next month. I've got a few events coming up. Um, but I think there's a ISA surf camp in Tahiti at the start of July. So I'm trying to get in on that already. Um, and it's just totally different, you know. You've got to go over there and, and you ride different boards and you're basically just kind of going straight on some big, scary, crazy waves, getting barreled and, um, it's a reef break, really shallow, comes from deep water, and it's got a lot of energy out there. So, um, oh, yeah, I've been looking into maybe even going to Hawaii at the end of the year. You know, they've got some big, big scary lefts over there too. So, 
Um, yeah, I'll be looking out. I'll, de- I'll definitely be looking to do a trip over Tahiti, one, at least once or twice before I go over, and maybe Hawaii as well. So, Billy, have you had it confirmed that they're definitely going to surf the Olympic event at Chopu? Is on that the famous break? What are you talking about? Shallow as monster. We've just seen that massive <laughs> swell over there recently. Is that where you'll be surfing? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure it's there. I mean, all the post, like you know, all the post guards and all the posters are at Tahiti, and everyone keeps saying it's at Chopu. So, um, I think there is a few more waves around that area. That you know, if the waves aren't um, you know weather dependent and, or pumping that day, they might move it. But for what I know, I think I'm preparing for Chopu Tahiti. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely ready for that. Okay, so. Um extreme quite extreme at, at times i just wonder does that even the field even up the playing field or does that make it even tougher does it even widen it and make it harder for some people yeah uh, yeah it is it's it's uh i guess from you know i've never been there before so it's going to be a new thing for me and and you know yeah i guess people who've been there before have that extra experience and uh lineup knowledge and and wave knowledge as say and um, yeah, it's going to be a huge task for the people that haven't gone there. Um, and obviously, there's a few locals that that have, you know, that surf it pretty big and scary and are, and are used to that stuff. So, uh, like I said, I'll probably be trying to be doing a few trips over there and and uh, getting amongst it as much as I can before the games. Billy, you're living uh, your dream, but you're living a lot of young people's dreams um, around New Zealand in particular. So they're living through you as such. So where is the dream going to take you in the next two to three months? So tell us some of the spots you're going to be at. Yeah, I definitely am living the dream, and I, I definitely don't take it for granted. You know, not many people can say they travel the world for for a living and, and surf for a living. You know, so um, yeah, I appreciate all the support from everyone at home and all my friends and family and stuff. You know, so it goes. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm Indo after this. Um, I've got a contest over there, and then I go to South Africa for another Challenger Series event, which I'm vying to get on that, you know, WCT as well this year. So um, yeah, I've got a few, <laughs> few major comps coming up. I also go to America, and, and like I say, I might try and fit in a Tahiti trip in there. So yeah, it sounds like I'm, I'm living an amazing lifestyle, and I. But uh, it's a lot of travel, a lot of time away from home, and a lot of hard work. So. Um, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to the journey ahead. Keep going, man. Um, a lot of people living uh, the dream and following you back here. Already got a couple of texts into the show to say wish you all the best and lovely to hear from you. As uh, we echo those thoughts, mate. Congratulations. Outstanding. Lovely to see awesome. New Zealand surfing, uh, flying the flag um, in Tahiti uh, next year. Will be something <laughs> very special. Go well. Stay safe. Travel yeah, well. Thank course. you. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Yeah, cheers, Billy Stammendale. Uh, real hard case, isn't he? But um, he is, uh, Louis. He's just living some sort of lifestyle yeah. there. I mean, some people say, uh, we, we talk to a lot of individuals who uh, do their thing around the world, and they always say the, the same thing. I'm living the dream. Young golfers, etc. Uh, young cricketers playing in the IPL, and uh, all of a sudden we just change tack somewhat uh, to surfing. We've had Billy on the show before, just prior to the Tokyo Olympics. He was so upbeat about the whole deal, so positive in his thoughts. Um, because I, I guess he's just doing what he wants and um, he's getting a lot of help along the way as he said but uh, he's, he's uh, repaying it 
Oh, he's such a, a grateful guy. He's such a nice guy, but he's had done it the really hard way throughout the years. It's so difficult for our surfers to get funded, Smithy. They really have to depend on a lot of private backers. It's just, um, sadly, at this stage, surfing in New Zealand isn't getting a, a big enough piece of the pie to be able to support these men and women in their quest. So... And, and as he talked about, the hardest thing is a lot of the ranking points you need if you want to make the CT or even stay on the Challenger Series, these events are in South Africa, they're in Indonesia, they're in North America, they're in Europe, Portugal, France. Um, all of these places aren't easy to get to. It costs a lot of money, and then you're not actually earning at the same time unless you're winning events, and that's hard to do. It's such a global sport. One thing I can't wrap my head around is you asked a very good question about Chopu, which I'm sure you would have seen the wave before. They've had Code Red. They've had Code Red 2. They've had these swells that literally only a handful of people in the world can surf. Now, if and I don't haven't quite worked out the permutations of the time of year the Olympics are going to be and what that means swell wise, but if they get a big big swell, I don't think everybody's going to be able to surf the wave. I, I truly, I truly don't think everybody's going to be able to surf the wave because you can't send people that have never surfed Chopu into ten, twelve foot, eight foot Chopu. It, it, it's just, I mean, it's talk about health and safety. It's. I mean, it's actually, Ricardo Christie told us that when he was on the tour, he was out there and it was pretty big, not the biggest he'd seen it, and he didn't actually want to drop in. He was on the championship tour, surfing pipeline, surfing these waves. You don't get access to these waves all the time. It's very rare you get to go to pipeline and sit there with only one other guy in a heat. So you go there for a free surf, you're not even guaranteed to get a wave to learn how to surf these waves. It's quite a nuanced sport, and that's why them taking this Olympic event to Chopu is really, really interesting. And I think if they can't get those athletes there to learn to surf the wave in this ISA camp that he was talking about, it actually raises a lot of questions about what the competition looks like come, what is it, September next year. All this time I was thinking your heroes in life would be like uh, James McDonald, Opie Bosson, um, you know, I, I just, uh, Marrera. Um, you know, uh, Frankie de Tori, and, and really, it's Kelly Slater, isn't it? It's Kelly Slater. <laughs> Kelly's a, I mean, he's the GOAT. I, he, you know, he's like Tiger Woods. Like, he's like Tom Brady, like Richie McCaw. Don't, don't get it twisted. I love surfing. I always have. Um, but I, I, I've lost, I will be completely honest, the mid-season cutoff point, the way the WSL is structured now, kind of lost me a little bit a couple of years ago. Um, I find it a bit frustrating to keep up with, but I, I do find it really curious that uh, we've we've got so many great surfers around New Zealand and we have never been able to, I mean, Ricardo Christie, Paige Harrab, um, you know, we, we've had them kind of in an on and off tour recently, but we've never been able to send one and have them stick there, Smithy. So I think what'll happen in the next decade or so, I really do. Because we got, I mean, you know, you're part of the world. People love it. They do love it. They do love it. Um, you know, and it's not just a sport for young people, for teenagers, for people in their 20s, 30s. Uh, I know a lot of uh, blokes who uh, spend a lot of relaxational time uh, surfing. In fact, um, there's a, a program called uh, Surfing for Farmers, just to yeah. relieve stress and, and get some, you know, some, uh, I don't know, some some people just doing something different and, and to get their mind off uh, the issues around farming, et cetera, and interest rates. And, uh, you know, that that's proving to be very, very successful. So I know that uh, aside from the competition side of surfing, uh, there's a very, very uh, relaxational side of thing uh, to that as well. So 
Um, yeah, we're going to keep a focus on that, uh, particularly now that uh, we know that we've got a guru within the group. Well, we can look at it much more carefully and uh, just see what the pathway is for the rest of our youngsters trying to, to make the grade and get through to the uh, Olympics. And Tahiti, see, I learned something there this morning and the characteristics of the waves that uh, they're about to perform on. Very, very interesting, mate. Thank you for that. Uh, we'll be back very shortly here on SCNZ. SCNZ app. I've been tuning in at all hours of the day, from Izzy to Ricardo. What a roster we have on SCNZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. So Brian Rory, Brian Rory chooses our music uh, from time to time, and that, for a number of reasons, is a beautiful choice. It's uh, stuck with you. It's uh, uh, Huey Lewis, of course. Now, Huey Lewis plays in a hell of a lot of pro-am events on the American tour. Um, he's a very, very avid golfer, Huey Lewis, and has been for quite some time. I wonder what the likes of Huey Lewis feel about uh, what's happened overnight with Live Golf, the PGA, the DP Tour, Jay Monaghan, and all these blokes uh, who have done the secret deal uh, to the surprise of all their players. So a great choice there. And yes, uh, stuck with you. It's pretty much where they're at now, or they've decided to be. And we have a number of texts that have uh, come in on that as well, and on the cricket. So here we go. Caleb, the, this merger is like if we decided we would merge with South Africa and only have one international team. Seems weird to flip things around like they have so instantaneously. Caleb... Weird is, uh, I think, very polite. Uh, Patrick comes in from Ashburton. G'day, Patrick. Uh, Smithy, great news for golf. Yes, there will be the bombshell effect for a few months. This will fade away after a major or two when they, they play rules, uh, the players rule the headlines and the golf does too. I've recently started a social group called Live Golf Plus. It doesn't have the money, but lots of fun. I think all the big golf stars will find it great to be able to compete against one another a, a, on a more regular basis. Uh, we'll see about that. There will be some severe bitterness. Uh, just as there was when they separated, there will be some bitterness, real bitterness, when they come back together, Patrick. For instance, uh, the Live Golf guys, to desert the PGA, are going to get all their money by the sounds of things. They're not going to deny them the money they tempted them away for. And then they just come back in. They just come straight back into the fold. Uh, and uh, start uh, competing for the same money the other guys stayed behind for. There will be bitterness there, I promise you. If they're motivated by money, and uh, most of them are, I can't see any other way from that. Uh, Smithy, I can vision a cartoon appearing of a giant golf bag being wheeled onto a course in the night, 
Some might perceive this as a Trojan horse moment. Theories will fly about until the detail is shared. Excellent. Get exactly where you're coming from. Right, uh, on the cricket side of things. Uh, yes, uh, John, yes, you're right. It is on Sky Sport tonight, but uh, the good news for us, it's on SCNZ as well. And uh, we have an excellent commentary team on the ground at the Oval, including our very own uh, Jeremy Coney, of course. We've got Ravi Shastri in the, in the mix. So uh, there will be some uh, wonderful commentary. Harsha Bogle, the voice of Indian cricket, uh, he's part of uh, the SEN and SENZ team as well. So uh, we shall be bringing you up to date, ball by ball. Put your head on the pillow and listen to the World Test Championship. Uh, Chris has said, I think without Boomerang and Punt, Australia will go slight favourites, but watch out for Gill. He looks like a special player. Do you think the World Test Championship should be a series instead of just one match? Thinking about this, Chris, actually, I was just thinking about that before, and your text prompted me into that. Thank you very much. Uh, I like the idea. You've got to find the timing for it, and of course you don't really know who's going to be in the World Test Championship until about a month out. The reason they have it on England in this time is they can guarantee uh, it being in a summer, and then of course... You know, then they pick a venue. Last time it was Southampton, this time it is the Oval. Um, it, it comes at a good time, this one, because it's uh, like a preemptor to the ashes. It's going to be a massive two to three months. If you're a cricket fan, a test cricket fan in particular, England's the place to be in the next two to three months. If, if not, of course, you can watch and listen to it back here in New Zealand. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about, where's the advantage for Australia in topping the group uh, and, and being the top qualifier? Normally you'd say, well... In uh, a normal case, uh, turn of events, you'd say, well, you can host the final. But because of the timing, you can't get a good cricket pitch in the middle of winter in Australia. Too many other sports going on as well. So do you delay it until the start of the Australian summer and play it as the opener there? Um, I'm not sure. Do you play a three-test series? Finding the window. I mean, they've just come out of the IPL. They're just going into the ashes. Uh, find a window to do that. What I thought might be an advantage is that if you top the group, if you top it, you're the top qualifier, they don't have to toss the coin. You get to say whether you want to bat or bowl. Whether that's an advantage or not, I don't know. But maybe you could go to the Oval and Australia say, we have the choice because we won uh, the number one seeds. We decide whether we bat or whether we bowl. How about that for a, a way out sort of theory? I mean, Steve War. Uh, he, he was always an advocate anyway of their visiting team should have uh, the right to decide what they want to do and that would rule out the doctoring of pitches, wouldn't it, throughout the world. Uh, not so much doctoring involved here, of course, but it's because it's a neutral one. 9.30. 9.30 here on SENZ. Uh, we're going to continue our golfing theme next as we head... Uh, sorry, 10.30, sorry, uh, Brian, that, that was time's a rush. 10.30, it's probably 9.30 somewhere in the world, maybe 9.30 in night in the UK. Uh, 10.30, we're going to continue our golf stream with the bulletin very shortly. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> yep, uh, before we get uh, inside the, the bulletin, we must have our racing bulletin update, and uh, that means uh, racing today, Louis Herman, what, at Matamata. Uh, also news coming through uh, officially, uh, it would have been rumoured anyway, of uh, a Tiako move um, in terms of their setup to Cranbourne. Yeah, that's right, Smithy. Um, that had been rumoured for a while, not rumoured. They'd spoken about it openly, David Ellis and even Jamie when he was here. Of course, Mark 
uh, Walker being a massive part of their um, record-breaking season this year, being their head trainer. Now, they were looking at this back before COVID, I reckon, um, but they're going to move to Cranbourne. They've got 20 boxes up front, so they've got 20 horses permanently located over there, and they're going to continue being the behemoth back here in New Zealand with their Matamata bases. Now, I mean, this is... What's the word? Seren... Seren... Dipidus? Dipidus, maybe? Uh, Singapore, yeah. the window closes in Singapore, and um, here you go, there's another opportunity. How timing can be a funny thing in Australia, and they're obviously going to look to... I mean, it's a massive carrot for owners, is Australia. The prize money's so good. The prestige, you know, the smithy, you watch a lot of Australian racing. Uh, this is a massive opportunity for them to keep momentum after one of their jurisdictions has been shut down where they race, up in Singapore. So... I suspect that in the interim, when they have these 20 horses over in um, Cranbourne, which is just about 50 kilometres out of Melbourne in the spring, they will send their A-team there and hopefully be able to, well, look at the group ones here in the early part of spring. Um, you've got, obviously, the Hastings Carnival, then you've got the 1,000, 2,000 guineas down at Rickerton. This is all kind of going on in the middle of that Australian spring. So I'd say that they'll send their, their proven horses that they know can um, perform in Australian grades up front. Then they'll be hoping that they can get something to come out of the woodwork, which they always do through the New Zealand Group 1s, and maybe send them over at the back end of that carnival and make a splash. It's very exciting for our bigger stable. Congratulations to DC and Karen and Mark and, of course, Sam Burgesson as well, because... It's not an easy thing to do. It will be challenging because they'll want to maintain their dominance in New Zealand, so they won't want to drain their pool of talent here in New Zealand at Matamata to service their Australian barns. So it'll be a juggling act, but it's very exciting for New Zealand racing. Yeah, and on the other side of that is, of course, uh, it's closing down in Singapore, as you said. Um, so does that open an opportunity for the likes of someone like a Stephen Gray uh, to go somewhere else? We'll find out after 11 o'clock this morning. Um, before we go... Uh, Louis, too. Um, the first race at uh, Matter Matter is about 40 minutes, according to me. So, any wheeze, anything? It's heavy. I just want to see the first couple of races, Smithy. It's very heady, heavy. Lots of maiden fields today. I might plead the fifth. You might plead the fifth. Well, that in itself is a record. So, it's uh, 10.36 here on SENZ. Uh, shall we take a break? Yeah, I think we'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll go to the bulletin. Michael Goldstein will be with us, um, and he'll be fascinating on this subject, I promise you. In your field, summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Bulletin. Well, the bulletin can only be about one thing this morning. It has to be about golf, and uh, I'm not uh, apologising in any way for that because it's the biggest news in uh, sport for quite some time because of the, the way it's all unfolded. Uh, it's as simple as that. Uh, and to talk to us about it in a much more informed fashion is uh, Michael Goldstein. And Michael, of course, is a, a very experienced sports administrator. Uh, also uh, in the field of golf, uh, he's been heavily involved in organising golf tournaments uh, and is a panellist on golf.com. Michael, good morning to you. Has this come as a complete smack in the head? Good morning, Smithy, and yes, absolutely. I think a few of us, like, like all of us, we're shocked. Um, I'm also bloody tired because 
I rolled over at three o'clock this morning and checked my phone, and it had just blown up. And it was pretty tough to get back to sleep after after just reading the news and what was unfolding. So then, uh, gut feeling um, at what uh, two or three o'clock this morning, um, as opposed to um, how you're feeling uh, about seven or eight hours later. Have you balanced your thoughts at all? Yeah, I, I, look, I think as you said, this is this is one of the biggest sports business deals in the history of of sport of professional sport, and I think it's, we all know it's highly complex. And there's probably only a few people in the world that actually know what's going on right now. Um, it sounds like reading this morning that there was literally four or five guys that very secret, secretively um, have been talking about bringing the game of golf together over the last six or seven weeks. And they have done that and made the announcement this morning, which has blindsided everybody from the players to the administrators um, to the tournament owners, the sponsors, the broadcasters. So essentially this very messy um, world of golf, world of professional golf, is being brought, brought back together. But what that looks like, we're just not too sure. This was a bit of split. This was a big divide. How the hell can it be fixed that quickly? Well, the short answer, Smith, is money. I think, I think money fixes everything. And the reason that golf divided in the first place was because there was an opportunity for players, DJ, Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson to make a lot of money by going to a different product which was lived golf. And those golfers made their decision. They made it in the interest of money. They didn't shy away from that. And um, you know, over the last 12, 18 months of golf's been developing into a into a product which has got some fans and it's got some good tournaments now and um, it's been making some progress. But ultimately, money has brought these tours back together, and that money consists of uh, the PIF offering a huge deal for the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, to essentially bring the golfing ecosystem back together again. Now, how much money are they offering and how much are they injecting in? We don't know. Um, as I said, there's only a few people who really will know high-level details, but one could assume it's a lot of money because if it's not a lot of money, then there's going to be some pretty grumpy professional golfers around. There will be a lot of very grumpy golfing uh, professionals around, and a lot of them, and uh, they probably already have been in Canada, looking straight into the face of Jay Monaghan and say, what about this about face from you? We stayed faithful to you. Uh, we've backed everything you've said. You've gone as deep as to say to convert to live, to go to live, is almost like rubber stamping 9-11. Now, in America, you cannot be uh, um, as, um, I don't know, as more pointed than that in terms of an, an emotive issue. How does Jay Monaghan even stand up in front of these guys? Yeah, it sounds like the players have just got out of a meeting with him about an hour ago, and from the initial reports, it was pretty heated. And uh, I actually just read before coming on with you, Smithy, that there was a standing ovation when uh, one of the players suggested that he should he should go immediately. So that's that's reading the room of of where the players currently sit. Um, look on the on the sports washing. This has been painted by some commentators, Brandel Chambly being the main champion, um, about uh, morals and supporting Saudi Arabia. Um, I think that. 
that that issue of sports washing is is only one of many factors here. Uh, I think there's lots of sports that do business with Saudi Arabia, whether that's motorsport, football, um, you know, boxing. Lots and lots of sports do business with Saudi Arabia. I'm not passing judgment on on sports washing. It's a thing in, in professional sport, but it's only a small factor here as part of the deal, which has ultimately always been about money for the players. Would you like to be able to tap into the phone call between Jay Monaghan and Rory McIlroy at some stage? I understand. Uh, I'm not sure whether McIlroy was in the room. I haven't seen the fully complete field at uh, the Royal Bank of uh, Canada or Open, but what I wanted to know is um, what will be said between those two individuals? Yeah, it'll be fascinating. I think all of us would love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. Look, the PGA Tour is owned by the players, so Jay Monaghan's really just acting as their agent. So it's what he's done is is made massive decisions, essentially selling some of their commercial rights without taking the players along with them. And if we think about New Zealand and what's happened with New Zealand rugby, right, with the commercial company and um, the steps that we need to take through for that company to be set up, um, you know, it was a thorough process where all the stakeholders needed to come along for the ride. And... Essentially here, Jay Monaghan and the board of PGA Tour have gone and done a deal without consulting and working with the players that own the tour. So the players will be pissed off. There's no doubt about it. But one can only assume that the board has done that because they have got a deal which is just undoubtedly in the best interest of the players. So I can't imagine that Jay Monaghan would have done a deal like this that isn't going to be really good for the long-term benefit of Rory and Tiger and Justin Thomas and Colin Murakawa. Um But right now, it looks like they have been um, really sidelined and taken by surprise today. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jay Monaghan does have to fall on his sword. Yeah, well, interesting that the PGA Tour, Michael Louis here, interesting that the PGA and Jay's men will have the, the uh, numbers of the board, but the chairman is obviously the head of the investment fund, so I don't know how that breaks down um and i guess the my, my question is do you think that he is going to have to offer cash payment to the likes of rory jt jordan spieth these guys as compensation for not taking the money and if he doesn't what's stopping them walking away to the next live that comes along and i'm not saying that there is someone that has this amount of money or depth of finance of the Saudi Public Investment Fund, but does this solve a long-term problem for golf? Well, I think it will solve a long-term problem, but the short-term problem is the fact that Justin Johnson and Brooks Kepka have been making $75 million a year for the last two years, uh, and, and Rory and Justin Thomas and Colin McCarr haven't. So when they get back together... Unless there's some kind of payment or fee from the guys to even things out, then Rory and Justin Thomas are going to feel slighted. And the money's not insignificant. Like, we're talking 50 to $100 million. Apparently, Hideki was offered $300 million. So it's going to be pretty tough for him to line up alongside these guys knowing that he's left $100 million on the table. So I can only assume or guess that as part of this deal there's a pocket of cash that will go towards kind of writing 
the the issue in keeping those that have been loyal uh, whole, so to speak. Um, but if they haven't, then there's no doubt that this, on its face, looks like there's winners, which are Phil Mickelson and Brooks Kepka who have taken the cash. But, you know, I think there's got to be a deal to be done there. Very quiet so far out of one Greg Norman, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't reckon he knew. It sounds like this was literally the five real power brokers in the room nutting out a deal. Um, but who who knows on the live side? They're obviously all very happy today about the news that they, they're coming back into the fold. But who knows um, where Greg Norman sits in this Um the news has come out that Jay Monaghan will be the CEO of the commercial company, um, which is essentially Greg Norman's job at the moment. Um, but let's wait and see. Unbelievable. Unbelievable developments in, in world golf. Uh, look, I, don't, I, I, just, uh, I just can't uh, kind of get my head around it. I, I, I will admit to being a traditionist, I was uh, anti-live. Um, uh, I mean, look, the other day, I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw the great Jack Nicholas quoted as, these guys' careers are like dead to me. These guys that have gone, they mean nothing to me anymore. I mean, that is, that is Jack Nicholas talking. Yeah, there's been so much emotion around it, and um, it's amazing how quickly it's come together, Smithy. And I think that it's come together because people realise that the fans and the broadcasters and the sponsors are turning off because each week when we watch TV, there's only half or 40% or 30% of the best golfers in the world playing against each other. And that's just not sustainable over the long run. You know, we don't have tennis tournaments where only half of the players play against each other. Or, you know, Formula One, you don't have half of the grid absent each week. So... These guys have actually come together and said, we need to create a worldwide golf ecosystem that works, where the best players play against each other, not just during the majors, but you know, 20 times a year. And what's going to be exciting out of this is what the schedule looks like in two or three years. Like, I think it'll be messy for two or three years, but once it's all shaken out, I think there will be a genuinely worldwide professional golf tour um, at every level of, of professional golf, which is good for the game because it, it gives opportunity for up-and-coming golfers to climb the ladder. And at that top level, the top 50 guys will play against each other more often. And that's got to be good for fans. It's got to be good for broadcasters and sponsors. But it's going to take some, some time to get to that. And I think it's going to be very yep. messy in the next 6 to 12 months. I think, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot of... Uh, emotion um, as opposed to money um, going to be uh, spilled out in the public arena. Uh, Michael, thanks so much uh, for being uh, on the call for us this morning at such late notice. It's, uh, uh, we just had to have further opinion on it and you've provided that for us. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, Smitty, and an exciting morning for all the golf visitors out there. Yeah, it sure is. 10.53 here on SENZ. SENZ, it's Kiwi for sport. Call anytime. 0800-150-811. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. 
This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.58, let's catch up with Pip Morris from uh, the TAB. Pip, I don't think there's any greyhounds on today, but any sports betting options? Certainly isn't, but yes, we'll talk about the cricket first. India up against Australia. I can tell you 60% of the turnover in the head-to-head market is on the Australians at $1.86. Smithy are very popular there. As far as the NRL goes, I can tell you the Warriors, they'll play on Friday night against the Raiders at their home ground. 75% of the turnover is on the Warriors to keep on their winning streak at $2.50. And we do have a nice promotion with the TAB. Play the pre-match head-to-head bet on the NRL during round 15. And if your team is ahead by eight or more at half-time, we'll pay you out as an early winner. So a nice incentive there. As far as the basketball goes, I can tell you 55% of the turnover on the AM in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Kia ora, good morning. I'm Anwar Hathaway with SENZ News. Long delays for Auckland commuters after a truck rolled this morning spilling tonnes of carpet glue across a South Auckland on-ramp. Emergency services are trying to keep drains clear and are redirecting the spill while they wait for council crews tasked with the massive clean-up. Gridlock on the southwestern motorway is expected to remain for some time and westbound lanes through to State Highway 20 are closed. Christopher Luxon may be calling for Michael Wood's removal from the Labour Party and the government but he's totally backing the government's vaping crackdown. From August, all vapes will need to have removable or rechargeable batteries and new shops won't be able to open their schools or marae. And while Nationals leaders calling for Woods to stand down after another ministerial scandal, he's right behind the changes to vape legislation on AM. These are really good things that we should get implemented. We support the government on them. They're sensible, they're common sense, uh, they're our, you know, a lot of what we would say we would want to do anyway. Infrastructure investor Infratil will be taking almost full ownership of One New Zealand in a deal reported to be worth almost $2 billion. Infratil, which already owned about half of the telco, will buy out Canadian investors Brookfield Asset Management to own about 99.9%. The acquisition puts the value of One New Zealand at almost $6 billion. And the World Bank has raised its 2023 global outlook as the US, China and other major economies prove to be more resilient than forecast. The bank, though, says higher interest rates and tighter credit will take a bigger toll on next year's results. SENZradio.nz Sport Next. Download the SENZ app today and listen live or catch up on anything you missed from your favourite show. Nine debutants have been named in the first Blackfern squad for 2023 as the side prepares for their first Pacific Four Series match against the Wallaroos June 29 in Brisbane. Ruahe DeMont and Kennedy Simon have been named co-captains for the 30-strong squad. The squad heads to Brisbane, then Ottawa, before heading home to play in Hamilton at the end of September. And a 39-strong New Zealand team leaves for the Special Olympics World Games in Berlin today with over 7,000 athletes across 26 sports competing over a week and a half. More Inside 30 on SCNZ. All the big moments from the world of sport. SCNZradio.nz Auckland weather fine with fresh southeasterlies, a high of 17, dropping to an overnight low of 9. You can catch ball by ball commentary of the World Test Championship final between India and Australia from 9 tonight on SENZ or download the SENZ app.
brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it's been a week uh, to uh, rock the world in terms of sporting news. We've just uh, been hearing about Live Golf uh, joining ranks again with uh, the PGA Tour, which has uh, shocked a lot of people. Uh, but that uh, has also happened in the racing industry. Singapore Racing is shutting down. It's shutting its doors and doing so at a rapid pace with the last race to run in October next year. Uh, that is, what, uh, about to 14, 15 months away. That is if they make it that far. With so many questions around speed and practicality of shutting down one of the most storied and established racing jurisdictions in Asia. Plenty of New Zealanders have passed through and made names and lives for themselves up there. None more prevalent than Stephen Gray, a top trainer back in his time with his father here in New Zealand. But one of the absolute best in the business in Singapore with hundreds of winners and big races to his name. It's been good enough to take our call this morning. Uh, Stephen, good morning to you. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, this is a, a bit of a shock to us over here. Um, what about yourself? Uh, how much warning have you had of this? Uh, well, it's shock to you. It's, it's uh, devastating to us here. We had no, no, no incline it was going on or any, any ideas. A couple of rumours, just a couple of few days before, because a lot of us went to sales on the Gold Coast and we heard, heard a bit of stuff going on. But I've heard that before you know it's just um prevalent in this part of the world so no it was a massive um shock really still getting over it but, yeah have, have, have you been able to talk to uh um any fellow trainers other people in the industry and gauge um their reaction oh yeah no definitely we had a um a meeting yesterday of all the trainers um we all <coughs> met and um went around the room we know we have a good uh trainers committee here um, and and uh, group so we all sat down and went around the room and just had a bit of a chat what going forward what's the best to do and what everyone was thinking of doing their ideas and um, we're all adamant that uh, we've been um, wrongly done by we've been um, sort of lit up the wrong tree you know what, what what's happened here you know through COVID um, we were decimated okay and um uh, the, the club management just went prepared for that. Like a lot of, lot of businesses around the world, you know, a lot of, a lot of countries, just, it was just uh, devastating for us in respect that you know, we used to race twice a, twice a week and uh, we had close to 15, 1,400 horses here which catered for that and um, they shut us down for three months and then realised they've got to race the horses and get going and then we were reduced to one, one day a week with no crowds. But the problem is they had no bidding structures that people could bet, like in Australia or New Zealand, Hong Kong, and you had to come on course to bet or go to the betting centres, and um, um, it, it nearly sent them broke because they had to put the prize money up. You know, they pay incentives here to run. It, it, it's a great system, and that, that, that put them in massive debt. And then um, coming out of COVID, um, you know, a lot of horses left. I, I went to Malaysia. A lot of them were, uh, moved on, etc., and... And we come to this point where we had to come out of COVID and start again. So it looked doom and gloom for everyone and um, what was going to happen. But, um, you know, management sort of um, enforced to us that it will go on, um, keep keep pushing on, support racing, it will get back to normal. And um, 
seemed to be heading that way, you know, and uh, a lot of investment was going on. I, I myself personally at the time was looking at um, moving out because I just couldn't see it surviving. But um, at the time, we had a two um, children here. Uh, Katie was on the last year of um, school and doing, a, doing exams, and James, our son, was doing national service so in the Army. So we sort of were forced to stay with family, and um, we stayed on. And I'm trying to put a lot in, in a few few minutes, and then we were forced to stay on, and which was fine to support them. We carried on, and then the last 12 months, um, we've seen a significant amount of interest again in investment. Um, we were assured by the club that it was pushing on. Uh, Dale Brown was employed here uh, to run the racing. Started to do a really good job, and, and personally myself, I started to think, I said to Bridget, well, we, we might be one pulled the right you know, rain and stay on because we had significant interest again and started looking at buying horses and like all the trainers, I think the two-year-old sales proved that. And um, the feature races were all brought in at a, at a lesser prize money, but we were assured that they were going to go up this, next year. We were assured that um, prize money would go up. The incentives, you know, for your starters, incentives was uh, increased again. And it looked really, really good. So, no, we had no idea at all. We, 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 you know, lo, lo, that's what was going around the room. We've been absolutely bloody rotted. And um, the big thing for now is what do we all do going forward? What do we do with the horses? Um, how long can we keep racing? Um, and what packages are we, our staff going to get? Because, you know, you have... It's all right for the, for the government to step in and take the land back and that and the, and the Singapore Turf Club management to say, well, we've got 300 employees. They'll be well looked after. Uh, they'll be have uh, job creations and they'll get, um, uh, you know, uh, packages. Um, uh, but, but what about our, you know, in our internal staff, I think we worked it out. We've probably got close to 700 and we employ them. And what, what's going to happen to them and what's going to happen to us? So... It's, it's a it's a big bloody bullshit thing, really, if you ask me. Right. Okay. Um, well, you've just outlined uh, just how big it is and uh, the consequences, basically, of that over there. Uh, I just about uh, also interested to know what do you think that might have impact on New Zealand bloodstock uh, industry for, in particular, um, with the direction a lot of our horses go. Oh, it's massive. Massive for New Zealand because New Zealand is a place that we've had. In the day, New Zealand breed probably the the best horses at value in the world, right? And I, I you know, even the radio runs this year, we were quite active. You know, um, uh, it's just massive for New Zealand and club in Australia because if it was starting to pick up, and there's no reason why it couldn't have gone forward even more. You know. Um, yeah, it's significant, really. Yeah, because we don't sort of buy the expensive horses. We don't compete with Hong Kong, but we're at the, around the bottom middle end, and that's massive for um, the pinhookers. You know, the breeders. You know, we we go there and we buy that. You know, up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollar horse, sometimes more, but that's the average. And I guess the people selling the nice horses, um, it's a massive loss, really. 
No, you bang on, Stephen. It's Louis here, mate. And you, you're so dead right about that lower middle market. And I, I saw a stat about how much bloodstock, not just at the uh, New Zealand bloodstock sales, but at all of the sales through Australasia that the Singapore uh, trainers had invested in. So, I mean, you're so right when you say you've been led down a path and kind of backstabbed a wee bit because you've just started investing again in your industry. And I, I guess, like, what happens to these horses? You raised the point before. We've just seen a report... Uh, by the RIB here about how they would potentially go about shutting down a greyhound industry in New Zealand who is on very thin ice. It is extensive. It's not an easy job to do to to shut down a a racing code. So what information were you given by the authorities about how they would ethically and sustainably do that? Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing. That's what was at the meeting yesterday, you know. It's about packages for everyone there and what about the horses you know thing is Louis um, I don't know how what, what stage they get to so we had a 15 we got called up and had a late minute call up to go over there to their um, offices um, Irene Lynn walks in the CEO gives us 15 minutes and tells you from the bottom of my heart I'm sorry to give you the news racing's closing what the friggin hell you know you got everyone's looking at each other what so, so have you thought about this? Has the government thought about this when they land grab it, take it back? Have they thought about what they're going to do with all these horses? Because, you know, they come out with an idea that, yeah, they'll fly all the horses back um, or, or back to Australia or New Zealand, but what happens with them then? And in reality is I rang IRT or, and said, uh, how many horses can you take in one hit out of here? And they said I would take to about eight, eight to ten we can only do in quarantine. So, so if, let's just say if there's 400 or 300 here need moving, because Malaysia can't take them all. Malaysia now, KL, Kuala Lumpur is about the only surviving jurisdiction of racing up here, and um, they'll, they'll pick and choose now, but they can't take them all, all right? They're not big enough to take them all, so there's going to be a lot left. And there'll be some nice horses that can go out of here and race again, for sure. I have two or three really lovely horses that can go back to New Zealand or Australia and compete for sure but so if you can only take eight at a time that's a process and they're talking two years well what brainless friggin idea is that to think that you can just shift horses like that you know and what will happen with a lot of trainers a lot of the horses when they finish or get injured and that these owners here will just say you can have it well, who's going to pay for them you know mm. they'll have to be shot Wow. You don't want to shoot nice horses, do you? Like, where in the world? Horses can be humanely put down, but I'm telling you now, there'll be a lot of pressure here um, you know, in that situation and um, animal welfare, and that's the biggest concern for trainers. Who's going to stay? In the day, I could leave tomorrow and move my horses around to some trainers and go back home and say, bugger it, I'm out of here. But when it, it, October, who's going to stay and look after them? Who's going to be paid for them? Where can you work them? What are you going to do? So, so these people have made these decisions, and you can't tell me our CEO did not know because I how can there's no way the government the way they work here are going to go and just do that without talking to the to the to the club here, and 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 all you have in the government you'll have some very bright young people that have no interest in racing, no idea, make this decision thinking it'll happen in eighteen months. Well, if it was going to close, I think that'd say five years, you know? So in yeah. that five years period, you've got three years, you carry on, and you know, people can decide what they want to do, and it probably would slowly wind down, you know? 
So it's just really, I just doesn't seem. It's very cold, very cold. It 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 seems pretty ill-conceived, really, and like that's deeply concerning. Hearing your thoughts there around the animal welfare aspect, Stephen, and I kind of hope and assume that at some stage this has to be revised to be a more slowed down process. I mean, you know the people up there far better than any of us down here. Could you imagine a compromise or a semi-back down to a point where you do get extended for half a decade, say, rather than 18 months? No, I don't think so. I think we decided yesterday that it's over. Um, The government here don't step back. Um... You know, uh, reality is they're not going to change it. That's just the way it is. But it's really, to me, it's a club level. The club, they represent us. You can't tell me that they didn't know about it. Now, if they knew it, didn't know about it, they should be putting their hands up and arms and saying, this is not, this is not right. We, we, had, we had emails sent to us within an hour of, of the, um, um, the options, what they were going to try and give us. Like, they're going to give the owners $700 extra a month be credited to the accounts and option you can fly your horses out when it's finished. So they knew. They knew. So they should be standing up and saying, this can't work. You can't do this. So you, 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 it's everyone to blame the government, but when you have civil servants and people in this government here, who's one of the best-run countries in the world, let's be realistic. You know, This is one of the best places in the world to live if you can afford to. Um, there's no crime. There's no, well, there was crime, but the, the jails don't make a business here, I tell you, all right? You, there's no bloody, um, what do you call it, smashing grads, what you're getting over there, you know? You murder someone here, you get hung, simple as that. So it's the best-run country in the world in some ways, cleanest, safest country in the world. So the government do their thing. The club here are responsible. They're the management. You can't tell me they didn't know it was going on. You can't. If they can sit there and we had no idea, well, now they should be getting up in arms and saying, well, we need five years. And really, they run a profit this year. I, I, I swear to come out, but it's talked about over $40 million profit. Well, in two, a month ago, they gave all the working staff here a three-month bonus and a 5% pay rise in the Singapore Turf Club, including, including our CEOs. So, what the hell? Stephen, this has been your life. Uh, This has been your family's life. Uh, What, uh, I know early days, but what now are you possibly even considering? You're a a family man, but you're dedicated to the industry. What are you even thinking uh, yourself at this early stage? Uh, What I'm thinking is to hang in here as long as I can for my staff, for my clients. I have some really nice horses that, you know, I have a couple of young horses I think could win a gold cup. Derby, if I can and try and do that, I'd try, like, to stay. It's it's probably financially how long you can stay. A lot of my owners have said they'll keep paying for their horses. And I have some nice little horses running around or, or pay on. But what concerns me is around you and the environment, who can stay on, what will happen. I reckon there could be less and less racing. becomes a bit unviable, you know. So after that... We, we, we don't really know what we'll do. Um, I'm probably like to come home and train in partnership with Dad for a little while. That'd be quite nice to get a win up with him or something like that. We could do that. I'll probably just 
play around there and help spend a bit of time with the family and just chill out a bit and make a few decisions then. There's a few options out there, but here's been our life, you know, like 23 years and um, been here and we just thought we'd do our time here and come home and do a few horses and um, have some fun, you know. So still got a lot to offer. Um, Bridget and I just don't really know yet. We just want to get through the next six months and then make a decision. Uh, Stephen, uh, we appreciate your time this morning. We can hear uh, in your voice and your comments uh, the level of disappointment and concern that you've got uh, for people as well as uh, horses over there. So um, we sympathise with you. Uh, and again, we thank you for your time and uh, hope that uh, things just uh, pan out a little can bit I better just say in the future. One and, thing, one yep, thing. absolutely. Yeah, about all this, right? So we have no government input, and that's the problem, right? Now, what I'm seeing in New Zealand. I've, I've waited a long time to see some change, right? It's taken too long. So if you have government support like you're getting a bit in New Zealand, you've got to grab it and do it right. Because if it can happen here, it can happen in New Zealand too, right? And um, you've got to get behind the clubs, got to get behind the government, going to give the support. There's going to be change. It's got to be done right. It's got to be managed right. If you get it right in New Zealand, you won't. And if you don't, you're going to have the same problem here. What are you going to do with all the horses in New Zealand are racing clothes? Stephen Gray, you know, thank you very fact, much. Thank you. Yeah, it is a fact. You're right, and we're going through interesting times here with Entain, etc. So uh, we'll see what the end result of that is in due course, but uh, it won't be as dire as what you're facing, I hope. Stephen Gray, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate we appreciate your thoughts. Cheers, you. <laughs> uh, Stephen Gray out of uh, Singapore there, Louis. Uh, gosh, gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh. Um, wow. Now, there's a few similarities to what's going on with the PGA situation there about blindsided and kind of um, decisions being made without the constituents or the, the stakeholders. But, I mean, the sad thing is, Stephen's... I mean, look, look, to put it bluntly, Stephen's worried about human and horse life and equine life. It, long and short of it, he's concerned. This hasn't been thought through. He knows how efficient and how ruthless his country and Singapore can be. Yes, it is one of the greatest places in the world to live. You hear that over and over. But only when you're on the right side of the ledger. And if they don't like something, they don't like something. I mean, this is brutal. This is brutal for Donald Logan, for Stephen Gray, for all of the trainers, all of the, the staff, 600 staff, thousands of horses, 700 people employed by trainers, they reckon. Um... Man, and, and the warning shot he fires about New Zealand racing needing to hang on. And, you know, this is where people like Minister Kerr and McAnulty, who actually care about racing, become so important. Advocates at government level is so important. It is the most crucial thing. And New Zealand didn't have it for a long period of time. And that's a really interesting warning shot that he's fired there as he, as he departed. I mean, you can hear the exasperation in his voice, Smithy. I did. I heard it very clearly. Um, we'll have uh, more about that going forward, obviously, Louis. Um, but it's a subject that could occupy the airwaves for quite some time, and it will. Um, but uh, we've uh, got to go to a break, unfortunately. When we come back, though, uh, we'll go to the sports desk. Can you tell us a wee bit about the man who now runs the world of golf? And, and, and it's not Jay Monaghan. It ain't Greg Norman, and it ain't anyone else apart from one bloke. We'd love to hear more about him. Thank you. It's 11.22. SCNZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Call anytime 0800 150 811.
brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Well, talk about fresh and making waves. We've had some seriously big waves this morning, and that includes the surfing we were talking about in Tahiti. But the big waves in sport continue to keep crashing into the beach. Um, and uh, Louis Herman Watt, uh, just uh, tell us a wee bit about the guy, the guy that now holds the balance of power in world golf, seemingly. Well, Polaris are going to be holding the balance of power when it comes to field day because their, their field day specials are on now. Two and a half grand of free accessories on Polaris Rangers, Smithy. But your man, our man, who we would love to, I mean, any time he wants to come on the show, come on down. We'll get him down to the loading ramp. We'll get him down to the Hastings Racing Carnival, actually. Maybe, as Maggie suggests, we should get him involved with Singapore Racing. This is Yasser Al Rumayan, and you would know his face because he's been involved with sport for a wee while now. Um, since, well, in recent times, the public Saudi Public Investment Fund has started to make serious waves. And I would just say that this, and for people that like to point out about sports washing, that the pub, Saudi Public Investment Fund is heavily involved in uh, Silicon Valley, heavily involved in tech. I think they own about 10% of Uber. Um, they're heavily involved with, I believe it is Facebook, a meta. So they've been doing this for a while. Now, he, this is his rap sheet as it stands, Smithy. He's the governor of the 620 US billion investment fund. He's the chairman of the oil giant that Saudi uh, run and own, Saudi Aramco, which is the major sponsor of the European Ladies Golf Tour. He's the chairman of Newcastle United after they bought Newcastle. He is a board member, he has a board seat at Uber and SoftBank, and he is essentially the right-hand man for the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He would be one of the most powerful people in world sport and in the world right now, I'd suggest, and he's your man if you want tickets to anything. Right, okay, um, get his number, and we'll try and get him on the show, because uh, obviously he'd talk to us. Uh, I mean, there are... We're going to continue on with um, this over the next uh, couple of days, folks. Uh, and and it's uh, and it's uh, as much a, a sport thing in general, and uh, the way sport can go as much as it is a, a golf thing as such. And I, we, we love golf on the show. We we play it, but we talk about it. And it's uh, we've got Kiwis heavily involved in it. I mean, what does Ryan Fox think about this all of a sudden? Because uh, I guess uh, he's uh, in the middle there because. He has uh, got uh, rights to the DP Tour. He's got a temporary uh, right as well to um, uh, the PGA Tour. So it will affect him um, as such, uh, but it's not like he's being left out of this. He's uh, being more heavily grouped into it. So uh, it is um, 11.30 here on SENZ. Um, we were going to give you some, uh, uh, some tennis results, but Maggie, yes, uh, thanks for reminding us. Uh, that uh, Michael Venus and Bianca Andreescu are through now to the quarterfinals. Big win overnight, uh, knocking out some highly seeded players. So they are through to the next round. So uh, we shall take a uh, short break here on SENZ and ask you to dial 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Uh, it's time to stump Smithy. A $50 voucher from uh, the TAB in terms of a bonus bet, uh, up for grabs here 
and uh, we encourage you to uh, ring. We'll play the game. Uh, we'll give you three three um, areas of sport that uh, you can choose from, and Louis will ask you uh, three questions. If you get them all right, you're a champion. If you get the last one right, you'll be a winner. Uh, Brian is waiting for your calls. In the meantime, let's uh, go to some news, shall we, with Aroha. 1476 AM in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. The World Test Championship final between India and Australia from 9 tonight on SENZ or download the SENZ app. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Right, it's 11.33 here on SENZ. It's time to uh, play Stump Smithy. Uh, as I said, $50 worth of uh, bonus bets from the TAB up for grabs. Uh, Louis Herman Watt down there in Christchurch is the questionnaire today. Brian's got the calls lined up. And uh, Louis, who's first up today? Uh, first up today, we're going to P Naughty. We're going to catch up with Barry from Palmerston North. Barry, how are you doing? Very good, thanks, Louis. Hey, Smithy. G'day, Barry. How's, how's life all right? Oh, not bad, but hey, what a morning, eh? <laughs> Waking up to that, news that was just, uh, that just blew me away. And and, and just, uh, what what a great interview you just had with Stephen. That was, uh, that was priceless. That's, uh, that's good stuff. Well done, guys. Thank you very much, uh, Barry. Yes, uh, and if it affects people like you and I, uh, this golf news and the Singapore racing news, and we're not heavily involved in it or have ever vested interest in it. Imagine how it is uh, affecting those uh, pro golfers, their caddies, um, and oh. all the other people that are involved in golf around the world, as opposed to, uh, and uh, uh, as you're right, I point out about Stephen Gray, I mean, I haven't heard a more passionate interview with uh, an individual no. for quite some time in any sport. So no. you're right, Barry, you've, you've nailed it, absolutely. Just how, hope you can nail the questions this morning, Louis. Uh, what are we dishing up for Barry? All right, Baz, you've got three things you can choose from. We're going to give you hockey, we're going to give you baseball, we're going to give you tennis. Well, I thought it'd be golf. Um, uh, 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 let's, let's go. What was the middle one? Hockey, baseball, or tennis, Barry, and just please for our um our broadcasting Hockey, standards authority hotline. Could you not make that noise again? Sorry, um, let's go tennis. <laughs> All right, tennis. <laughs> okay, let's go tennis. Oh dear. Right, the French Open is drawing to a close. Yes, well, truly, finals with the final series taking place across all divisions. King of Clay, Rafael Nadal, who would coincidentally go well at the loading ramp over a pot, won the 2022 men's edition of the tournament. Who did he beat? Actually, no, I'll rephrase that. Who did he give a hiding to in the final? Um... Uh... One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Just rephrase the question again, please. I just got my tournaments mixed up while I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Who did Rafael Nadal beat in straight sets in the last edition of Roland Garros? Uh-uh. Final. Oh, so to win it, to win it. Okay. Uh, oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, 
Uh, let's go, um, uh, Andreev. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Six three six three six. Love Casper Ruud. Casper Ruud. Well, there you go. In action tonight. <laughs> right. So we'll hope hope Casper goes better tonight. Right. Question two. And I think Smithy will know this, Barry. So get it right. Michael Venus right, has up. made made it to the mixed doubles semi-finals at the French Open. Who is his partner? Um. I do know. Oh, I do know this. Um. Mr. Murray. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. <laughs> Mixed doubles, Barry. Oh. Listen to the question. Listen to the question, Baz. Come on. It's Bianca Andrescu. Bianca Andrescu. That's not complex. Uh, so very talented. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Hmm. She is, actually. She's uh, won the... ASB Classic in Auckland before, I believe. Uh, all right, Barry, we're going to go to... Are we actually going to go to Ed in Tolaga, are we? Okay, Ed, morning. How are you going? Good, babe, but I'm stuck in this Auckland traffic, man. Did you hear um, out of Harlem the news? The truck yeah, still well, um, uh, blew down on the motorway. Carpet glue. I mean, how the, uh, how the hell are they going to get that off the road? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Anyway, I'm sitting here listening to us. Let's go, guys. <laughs> Rightio, oh. we will. We'll, con- we'll continue on. This is the money question, too, for you, uh, Ed. So good luck, pal. Thank you, bro. Right. Well, this is, speaking of the ASB Classic, another winner features here. The women's semifinals are set with sixth seed Coco Goff taking on the number one seed, Iga Schwantek. Seventh seed Tunisian Ons Jabir has her place books in the other semi final. Can you name her opponent, Ed, from Tolaga in Auckland traffic? Oh, Jabir's opponent. No, sorry, bro, I cannot. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Well, I can do this because controversial uh, this is, absolutely controversial, um, because no one wants to shake hands with her when she wins, oh, <laughs> unfortunately. No. It is uh, Arinya Sabalenka, who was the number two seed, and uh, she uh, knocked over Svitolina in the last uh, round to get to that point, I'm pretty sure, and they wouldn't shake hands at the net. So there you go because of their nationalities. But I think it's Sabalenka. One of the worst things... I have ever seen done on a cricket field. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Uh, well, look. This is, the I mean, this is this is tricks of the trade. I actually only get provided with questions. So now I'm quickly doing some googling. Yeah, no. Yeah, sorry, you're wrong, Smithy. The quarterfinal opponents of the Brazilian Haddad Maia. What? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The stupid thing about that is it's some it's some multi, I think. Oh my I, god, I it's on Jabir. It's on Jabir. Right. Oh god, that is Goose of the Day award. Rightio, okay, uh, which means you've won, Ed. You've absolutely won. Congratulations. Yeah, sorry, cool. sorry, Smitty, I didn't know that. 
No, I, I, that's all good, mate. No, I should have got that. That's just ridiculous. I feel like I'm stuck in glue oh. at the moment. I think it's fair to say. So uh, you have a terrific uh, stationary day there in your truck, Ed. I hope you get to. I hope you get. To, I hope you get to go forward and get off an off ramp shortly, so you can get okay, on with your I'm day, crawling. pal. <laughs> good I'm on you. Oh, good. That's good news. Good on you, Ed. Uh, well done. Uh, congratulations to you. Thanks, mate. See you later. Just, uh, well, uh, Ed. Honestly, honestly, it's frosty in here, guys. It's the very frosty. Thing I've ever, stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, to be, well, it's probably not. In fact, it's far from it. But it's right up there. Uh, we're going to talk some common sense. We've got to get some show uh, this show back on the rails. So we'll uh, we'll talk to Andy Thompson, very balanced citizen down there on the west coast. Uh, we'll be talking to him very shortly, uh, Andy, about what's coming up on his show, the Rural Roundup, this afternoon on all our frequencies, barring Auckland and Wellington. Live commentary of all the biggest games, the All Blacks, Irish, French and more, right here. Can we bring the Web Alice Cup home? Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.46, which uh, means in 14 minutes' time we shall be uh, crossing uh, to uh, two choices. Uh, the main one, of course, is uh, Andy Thompson's Rural Roundup, uh, rural frequencies and frequencies throughout the country. Uh, and uh, Andy joins us this morning to just uh, preempt what's uh, on his show today. And Andy, a couple of subjects uh, which I find uh, very interesting. Uh, if you haven't got a ute these days, you don't exist, but you might be able to get a new form of ute shortly. Yeah, mate. G'day, Smithy. Um, we're on Friday as well, coming up from this week. We're around up farm Wednesdays and Fridays, 12 to 1. But mm. I just thought I'd chuck that in. Uh, Kia Good. are going to come out with a new ute. They've been talking about it since 20, or for, for quite a few years, actually. Uh, and they've, um, they've start, well, they haven't released any photos of it yet. Um, but yeah, so they're going to call it the Tasman, apparently. It's going to be released in the Australasian market. Uh, a couple of new models, or two or three different models of this ute. And um, they're going to release, uh, apparently, um, a diesel one. Of course and, and that's what to expect but a couple of electric models so whether they're hybrids or hybrids or fully electric mate I'm not really sure but um, something exciting to look forward to a brand new model ute coming up um, I think uh, next year so um, yeah it's going to be interesting to see. Speaking of um, having preference over your utes what about Fontara, uh, Fonterra in Australia having seemingly got preference over their farmers compared to ours price wise anyway? Mate, this is fascinating. Uh, on the show today, I'm actually going to talk to... Uh, I've got a new segment, actually, across the ditch. and I've got a um, uh, an Australian rural journalist, Libby Price. And uh, in Australia, if you're a Fonterra supplier, which you can be, of course, uh, the opening shot for the 2022-2023 season is $9 a kilo. And that's guaranteed. They will guaranteed to pay you that if you sign up for them. That's a minimum that they will pay you. Uh, if you're a New Zealand Fonterra supplier, you've been offered a range somewhere between $7.25 and Six dollars, uh, sorry, eight dollars uh, sixty, with a midpoint of round about uh, eight dollars, eight dollars twenty, eight dollars thirty. So, the Aussie farmers are getting close to a dollar more guaranteed. And with the GDT this morning falling by another zero point nine, some of the reading zero point nine percent, some of the reading I'm doing that there is potential downside to that New Zealand Fonterra price. I just don't understand uh, how they can pay Australian farmers a dollar more than they pay the New Zealand suppliers. That uh, seems weird to me. If I was a Fonterra supplier, I'd be asking some questions. 
Well, you would be. Definitely be asking some questions. Uh, on your show, you do a lot of that. Andy, what else is on the show today? Well, I know we've been doing this ad nauseum, but it is getting very interesting. Uh, Todd, We've got Todd McClay, uh, National Party Ag spokesperson, and Mark Cameron, who's the ex uh, party sp- Ag spokesperson talking about Hewaka Ekanoa. This is the partnership um, which was put together by the ag sector to do their best to keep ag out of the ETS. It was a sector led agreement. And uh, unfortunately, the government has scored a major own goal on this. They were presented it in, 20, uh, in May 2022. They got greedy. They came back. They wanted some more. And basically, since that point, it's sort of stalled. And uh, several of the partners now have basically said, look, we don't want a bar of it. Um, Todd McClay said National is not going to um, accept it going forward. Mark Cameron said they never wanted it. Uh, so what is going to happen? Because agriculture is going to have to uh, go into the ETS if it, nothing happens by the 1st of January. 2025. So what are these parties going to do? And more the point is, if National and Act lose the election, what will Labour and the Greens do to agriculture? So that's a really crucial point. So we're going to do that. Uh, Steve Wynne-Harris, he is our, Mm. well, he's our Rural Hero of the Week. He got um, the Order of New Zealand one of them, I just haven't got it in front of me. Anyway, he got a going for agriculture. Uh, we're going to talk to Paul Collins. He was um, he was a winner of the long head at the uh, at the New Zealand Sheepdog Trials recently. And we're going to go across the ditch to Libby Price and talk in depth about this Fonterra issue. So plenty on the show, mate. Where are we speaking to you this time next week? Field days. Absolutely. Mm. I'm up at field days this time next week. I can't wait. Three days there, three days on the Rural Roundup from field days from Mystery Creek, courtesy of our very good friends at Grain Corp. Uh, the show is coming to you from the Grain Corp site at field days. And apparently, Smithy, you're not coming, but um, all the bosses are coming. And every, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few drinks, I think, on Wednesday night. Maybe you should come across for that. Yes, Hutch is there, Bingers is there, everyone. I think I've been shut out. I think I've been shut out. So there you go. I um, think it was your behaviour, your singing down in Queenstown that's uh, finished you off, to be honest. Thank you very much uh, for that. And I wish you all the very best for your show, Andy. And that's where we'll <laughs> leave it for today, shall we? Hey, Louis, uh, do you, you want to play s- that again, mate? No, I don't think so, Louis. I don't think so. I, I, I really don't think we yeah. need to do that. What we need to do, what we need to do, Andy, uh, is go to a break. Is go to a break and keep some normality here. Settle down, and Andy. Come back. When we come back, we'll go. To, we'll go back to to have a chat to Staffy, who's a less rude person. <clears throat>